Section 40 of 93 by Victor Hugo, translated by Aline Delano. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 3, Book 2, Chapter 5, A Drop of Cold Water. It was many a year since last they met, but their hearts had never been separated, and they knew each other again as if they had parted but yesterday. A hospital had been improvised in the town hall of Dole, and Simordan was placed on a bed in a small room adjoining the large hall devoted to the other wounded men. The surgeon who had sewed up his wound put a stop to all exciting conversation between the two men, considering it wiser to leave Simordan to sleep. Besides, Govan was called away by the thousand duties and cares incident to victory. Simordan was left alone, but he could not sleep, excited as he was by the double fever of his wound and of his joy. He knew he was not sleeping, and yet he hardly felt sure that he was awake. Could it be possible that his dream had come to pass? Simordan was one of those men who have no faith in good luck, and yet it had fallen to his lot. He had found Govan. He had left him a child. He found him a man. A grand, brave, awe-inspiring conqueror, and that in the cause of the people. In the Vendée, Govan was the pillar of the revolution, and it was really Simordan himself who had bestowed this support upon the Republic. This conqueror was his pupil. Simordan beheld his own thought illumining the youthful countenance of this man, for whom a niche in the Republican pantheon was perhaps reserved. His disciple, the child of his mind, was a hero from this time forth and would soon become famous. It seemed to Simordan like seeing his own soul transformed into a genius. As he watched Govan in the battle, he had felt like Chiron watching Achilles. There is a certain analogy between the priest and the centaur, since a priest is but half a man. The incidents of this day's adventure, added to the sleeplessness caused by his wound, filled Simordan with a strange sort of intoxication. He seemed to see a youthful destiny rising before him in all its splendor, and the knowledge of his own absolute control of this destiny contributed to increase his deep joy. It needed but one more triumph like that which he had just witnessed, and at a word from Simordan, the Republic would place Govan at the head of an army. Nothing dazzles one so much as an unexpected success. This was the epoch of military dreams. Every man had a longing to create a general, Westermann was the hero of Danton's dream, Rossignol of Marat's, Ronson of Hébert's, and Robespierre would have liked to ruin them all. So why not Govan? Simordan asked himself, and thereupon he proceeded to lose himself in dreams. There were no limits to his imaginings. As he passed from one hypothesis to another, all obstacles vanished before him, for this is a ladder on which, having once set foot, one never pauses. The ascent is a long one, starting from man and ending at the stars. A great general is only the commander of an army. A great captain is also a leader of thought. Simordan pictured Govan as a great captain. It seemed to him, for fancies travel fast, that he saw him on the sea pursuing the English, on the Rhine driving before him the kings of the north, in the Pyrenees repulsing Spain, on the Alps setting the signal for insurrection before the eyes of Rome. Simordan was a man who possessed two distinct natures, the one tender, the other gloomy, both of which were satisfied. For since the inexorable was his ideal, it gratified him to see Govan at once glorious and terrible. Simordan thought of all he had to pull down before he could build up. And certainly, he said to himself, this is no time to indulge in tender emotions. Govan will be up a la hauteur. An expression of the day. Simordan pictured Govan to himself with a sword in his hand, girded in light, a flaming meteor on his brow, spreading the grand ideal wings of justice, right, and progress, 
and, like an angel of extermination, crushing the darkness beneath his heel. Just at the crisis of this reverie, which one might almost have called an ecstasy, through the half-open door he heard men talking in the great ambulance hall adjoining his room, and he recognized Govan's voice, which, in spite of years of absence, had always rung in his ears, for the voice of the man often retains something of its childish tones. He listened. There was a sound of footsteps, and he heard the soldiers saying, Here's the man who fired at you, Commander. He had crawled into a cellar when no one was watching, but we found him, and here he is. Then Simurdan heard the following conversation between Govan and the man. Are you wounded? I am well enough to be shot. Put this man to bed, dress his wounds, take good care of him until he recovers. I want to die. But you are going to live. You tried to kill me in the name of the king. I pardon you in the name of the Republic. A shadow crossed Simurdan's brow. He seemed to wake as with a start and whispered to himself in a tone of gloomy dejection. Yes, he has a merciful nature, there can be no doubt. End of section 40